now we will turn to our second segment. Um, we are honored to be joined here by Dr. Bedros Matosian, who is the professor of Middle East history and politics at the University of Nebraska Lincoln. There, he focuses on Armenian and comparative genocide, Ottoman studies, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, and global history. So in this segment, we are going to talk about the Armenian genocide and how there is sort of an ongoing current ethnic cleansing of Armenians. Um, today, between Artsakh, a territory between an Ar- Armenia and Azerbaijan, and we will also bring it back to Palestine and talk about the oppression that Armenian-Palestinians face face in Palestine. Dr. Matosian is, in fact, um, an Armenian from East Jerusalem, an Armenian-Palestinian-American. Welcome to the show, Dr. Bedros Matosian. Der Matosian, uh, Amba, Der Matosian. Uh, thank you for inviting me to your show. Uh, and uh, it's an honor to be here. It's a sad Christmas and sad New Year. We can't say Merry Christmas or Happy New Year. Yes, I, I, um, absolutely. It's it's not a, a time to be celebrating. Um, and, you know, right before we get into it, Der Matosian, I, I, I wanted to just share a little bit with our listeners because, you know, we have listeners who listen to the show regularly. And um, you, some of you may know or have guessed that I, Ambagirgadan, am Armenian. I'm a, a quarter Armenian. My family on my father's side uh, is Armenian and Syrian, uh, and, our, and the Armenians fled to Egypt, but they all ended up in Egypt, and the Armenians fled to Egypt uh, before and during the genocide of Armenians um, by the Ottomans uh, and that started well, technically in 1915, but we'll talk about the history leading up to that in, in a moment. Um, and my, uh, my great, great uncle, uh, Dr. Krikor or Gregoire, uh, Gergarian was, uh, one of the foremost historians on the genocide. And he risked a lot to go and dig up, um, a lot of documents and you can find them actually at Clark University. If you want to, you can find all his documents in my grandfather's handwriting who helped him transcribe much of it. Um, and something I think that's hard for my family and all families and all Armenians and uh, is complex in a lot of ways is the, is the denial of the genocide. So that was my great, great uncle's work was to prove that it happened. Um, and so that's actually my father met your great, great uncle. Oh! In the 50s, I think, when he, when Krikor went there to do research at the Armenian Patriarchate Archives. You know, I know of Gergerian very well, actually. So, yeah. Well, we watched a clip of him recently when he was speaking, when he was very old. He was a very pious man. He was, uh, uh, he was a part of the church and he, um, was speaking about an encounter that he had in Turkey, in, I think, but I'm not sure. In Turkey, uh, when he was later, uh, maybe in his 50s or something, he fled. He was the youngest of 16. He uh, survived under his bed watching his family get slaughtered and then somehow was spared, was sent to an orphanage in Cairo and ended up meeting up with my great-grandfather, who was the eldest of 16, and children, that is, and had gone to Egypt right before the uh, genocide. Anyway, interesting. So he... So they had to leave their house and whatever. The soldiers slaughtered most of the family and, you know, sent them out of the house and uh, took the house. And just like they were doing in Israel today, these Israeli settlers taking the Palestinian houses. Um, 
And one day when the one of the soldiers or the commanders that had ordered the, the massacre in their home um, came up to him when he was in Turkey, found out he was going to be at this hotel, brought him some fruits from their garden and some silver with their name on it and, and asked, you know, wanted uh, to be forgiven. And I think Krikor said, go to the go to go to Mecca or something like this. But he sort of forgave him and. This is an interesting story. I think I'm a little bit young and hot-headed. <laughs> I was like, how could you forgive him? But welcome. Let's get into let's get into this. Tell us for those of us who don't know, who are the Armenians? Uh and you know, you, and and what is the Armenian genocide for those who feel that we're speaking out of context? It's all going to make sense. Of course, uh, Armenian history is not about only Armenian People tend to think that Armenian history starts with Armenian genocide. Armenians are an ancient nation Mm -hmm. in the region of historic Armenia, which today is Turkey, uh, current Armenia, and uh, sections of Persia. And they have survived many uh, persecutions. They established kingdoms. Kingdoms collapsed. They were dispersed. What's unique about Armenians is is their decentralization, which is a feature and a reason for their survival, because they were not concentrated in one specific region. They were concentrated in many multiple regions, and that's a reason for their survival. The last Armenian kingdom existed from the 10th century to the 14th century with the collapse of the Cilician kingdom in 1375 in what's today the region of southern Anatolia, uh, called Cilicia at the time. And since then, Armenians have been part and parcel of the Ottoman Empire until the collapse of the Ottoman Empire in 1918. Uh, Armenians, of course, existed in eastern European, uh, sorry, eastern, uh, eastern part of uh, eastern part of, uh, let's say, the uh, historic Armenia, uh, which is today's uh, Armenia, uh, Georgia, Azerbaijan. And so Armenians towards the end of the 18th, let's say 17th, 18th century, were divided into two sections, Eastern Armenians and Western Armenians. And both of them were persecuted, I should say. It's not that Armenians were living in a better situation under Christian Russians. They were persecuted. In some cases, the condition of the Armenians in the Ottoman Empire was much better in specifically dealing with the time period. But towards the end of the 19th century, with the creation, with the international uh, political machinations, the imperialism, etc., Armenians were used and abused. The Armenian question was used and abused in order to score points by the British and the, and the uh, Ottomans and the French and the and the uh, Russians specifically in order to have a uh, foothold in the region. But to make a long story short, the Armenian question dealt with the condition of the Armenians in the eastern provinces, provinces where they were persecuted, and the Armenians wanted to reform the their condition, and uh, there wasn't any. There was reluctance by the government to reform the Armenian, Armenian question, and that reluctance would take on uh, in the post nineteen oh eight revolution to reform the condition of the Armenians and eventually during World War One, the leading 
ruling elite of the Ottoman Empire, the inner clique of the Committee of Union and Progress, took a decision to annihilate the Armenians of the uh, Ottoman Empire in order to solve once and for all the Armenian question that has lingering been lingering in the uh, in the uh, international diplomatic arena for decades. So uh, most of the Armenians uh, of the diaspora, I should say, are the byproduct of the Armenian genocide. Armenians uh, formed, this does not mean that they weren't Armenian uh, diasporic communities, they were, but the majority of them formed the modern day diaspora from Egypt, Cairo to Marseille to Paris to uh, Glendale, not Glendale, sorry, for, to Fresno, to Worcester and London and many other places around the globe, including and not only limited to uh, Europe, but also the Middle East. The majority went to the Middle East, to Aleppo, uh, to Beirut, Lebanon, and then some even went as far as, and uh, went to Palestine. And that's the story of my family, who uh, uh, my uh, family survived. Certain, certain sections of the family survived the Armenian genocide and they came to Aleppo, after which they, uh, they came to, went down to, uh, Lebanon and there was a major epidemics in Lebanon in the thirties. They ended up in, uh, Palestine, mandatory Palestine. And we've been living in the same house since their arrival, which is in the Muslim quarter of the old city of Jerusalem. And we're um, looking forward to talking more about that um, a little bit later in in the segment. Uh, but um, talk a little bit uh, about how the land and the population of Armenia shifted after the genocide. Um, and of, of course, course, I of course, the genocide was not only the annihilation of the Armenians. There, uh, right. Out of, out of, let's say, if, if 100% Armenians existed in the Ottoman Empire, about 95% of them were eliminated or were expelled or were deported, uh, with uh, more than 1 million being slaughtered in a systematic manner. Their houses were uh, confiscated and appropriated by the Kemalist regimes too. So there is this argument that there is no connection between the uh, Republic of Turkey and Armenian genocide. It's the Ottomans that they know. There is a strong connection, continuity or continuum between the Ottoman Empire and the modern day Turkish Republic. So to that extent, there is a connection between the modern day Turkey and the Ottoman Empire. But also uh, there it was a dramatic, traumatic experience for those who survived uh, with the horrors of the genocide that they suffered. And uh, many of them ended up uh, suffering from PTSDs to silence about the uh, horrors and the uh, and the uh, uh, suffering and the uh, tortures that they faced during the genocide. Mm. So uh, that's the by- byproduct actually of what we are today, what we, there is a collective uh, uh, generational trauma that Armenians suffer, of course, despite the fact that we haven't experienced the genocide, our families, our ancestors, our grand- great-grandmothers who passed the trauma to, to their children, and then hence we are the third generation of uh, 
genocide. And as 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 I you know as I said in a in a recent edited volume about denial of genocide in 21st century, which was published this year actually in May by University of Nebraska Press. As long as denial continues, genocide continues. Right. As right. long as denial continues, genocide continues. Yeah. So uh, we're dealing with a country, a major country, which is Turkey, which pours millions of dollars on an annual basis in order to deny the Armenian genocide. All right. Um, and so, right. The, I just want, if I wanted to go back to where my family was from, it would be in Turkey. Yeah. Uh, so this is, and I'm talking about this all because this is relevant for the Palestinians and for anybody else who, you know, faces this, um, you know, has faced genocide, um, which is, you know, a, a lot of the world's population, unfortunately, a sizable amount that is, um, but right. So if I wanted to go back to where my family was from, it would be Turkey. It would be almost Western Turkey. And, uh, and now Armenia is this, if you look on a map, it's this tiny country between Russia and Turkey and next to Georgia. Um, and but next to Azerbaijan as well and bordering Azerbaijan as well. And there is a, a, a territory between Azerbaijan and between Armenia called Artsakh or uh, to the Armenians, or Nagorno-Karabakh to the Azeris. So, uh, and there's been a, well, there's been war going on here over time uh, through 90, in 1994, there was a ceasefire, which was broken in 2020 by the Azeris. And again, recently talk about what's going on in Artsakh. Um, so the issue is about self-determination of uh, groups that have been persecuted, uh, Armenians have strong ties to Artsakh. Uh, historically, they've been there for thousands of years. Uh, uh, with the collab, and they've suffered uh, in the during the formation of the Soviet Union when Artsakh was uh, given was uh, designated as an autonomous region of Nagorno-Karabakh under the rule of Azerbaijan. Uh, since then, Armenians have sought of reuniting with Armenia or asking for independence. And they've complained about discrimination, economic disadvantages, disadvantage, uh, persecution, and they always ask for reuniting with Armenia or having an independence status. So with the collapse of the Soviet Union, Armenians uh, start asking for independence and they run, do some referendums uh, and uh, majority of Armenians now ask for independence of their territory, which was mm-hmm. a territory. And that leads to a major war in the 1990s, which results in the Armenian victory. Of course, a victory is only a victory of who won the war, but Armenians and Azerbaijanis actually paid a high price for the victory. Uh, about 30,000 people on both sides were killed during this war. It was a horrible war. So beginning with the ceasefire until 2020, there has been kind of diplomatic uh, negotiations with the Organization of Security and Cooperation of Europe, different platform, different uh, different versions, different types of solutions. But... All in all, Armenians, Armenians wanted that the Armenians of Nagorno-Karabakh has, have to have saying in the final resolution of the conflict, which the Azeri side, Azerbaijani side has always denied. 
And uh, in 2018, there was a major event in Armenia, which was the uh, uh, Velvet Revolution. And of course, if you think about Russia and Velvet Revolutions, uh, uh, Putin gets allergy whenever there is a revolution or Russian Federation gets an allergy whenever there is a revolution in its neighborhood. Same thing happened in Ukraine, in Georgia, and in Armenia, the Velvet Revolution happened. There wasn't any intervention by the Russians. Despite the fact that uh, uh, Russia has a base in Armenia, and uh, I was see, I was thinking as to where when is the answer going to come when when we go when Armenia is going to receive the slap in the in the face and that happened actually with with the war of 2020 uh, backed by Russia. Doctor, Doctor Matosian, we're having a little bit of trouble with your audio. Maybe if you could try and turn off your video, maybe that will help. Thanks, listeners. We're live. The joy and the pain of broadcasting live. Uh, so, um, last thing we heard uh, clearly was uh, 2020 being the slap for the Velvet Revolution of 2018 in Armenia. Yes, so uh, 2020, uh, Azerbaijan, aided by uh, uh, by Turkey, uh, uh, aided by uh, Russia. Russia gave the green light, as far as we uh, understand, uh, uh, attacked the uh, independent uh, Democratic Republic of Artsakh, leading to a major war that lasted for 44 days. And that war ended up with the, uh, with the, uh, Azerbaijani victory over Armenia. 5,000 Armenians were killed and around 3,500 uh, Azerbaijani soldiers were killed in order to be able to get the regions that are beyond the, uh, uh region of Nagorno-Karabakh. So a, a, P, a ceasefire treaty was signed on uh, in the in, in, during the last day of the war, by which uh, Azerbaijan was to going to adhere to specific points. One of the most important points was to allow the transfer of food, medical personnel, and other necessities to the Republic of Nagorno-Karabakh, which had above hundred thousand Armenians. But, uh, of course, Azerbaijan did not adhere to the ceasefire agreement. It initiated a blockade over the Republic of uh, uh, Artsakh and uh, for eight months, which I call uh, it as a genocide by attrition. When you create conditions in which people suffer and they don't have any access to food, that's called genocide by attrition in the uh, in, in the in the terminology, academic terminology. But uh, thinking of it too, that that genocide of attrition ended with the attack, with the second attack by uh, Azerbaijan now uh, on the Republic of Artsakh without any any, uh, excuse, leading it now, leading to a major ethnic cleansing more than 99% of the Armenians were ethnically cleansed to do from the, uh, from their ancestral homeland and currently residing in the Republic of Armenia. Artsakh is empty. 
This happened at the time in which major, uh, in which the concentration was on Ukraine and who cares about the Armenians? Once more, the idea of who cares about the Armenians? Uh, during the blockade, none of the major newspapers even reflected about the condition and the suffering of Armenians in Nagorno-Karabakh. It was only in the last one or two weeks that they started paying attention as to what's happening. And it was too late by then. So, uh, Armenians called, call it as it was a, call it a genocide, but I disagree. It's, it's not a genocide. It's clearly an ethnic cleansing case where the majority of the, not majority, all the population have been uprooted from their, uh, from their lands and are being uh, settled in uh, the Republic of Armenia. Their houses, their belongings, everything they had have been confiscated and looted by the Azerbaijani soldiers and by the government. Right, pushed pushed more and more into this small territory uh, that was drawn for quote unquote for them, um, uh, and I I want to shift because we only have a few minutes left in the show, um, but just uh, really briefly, yeah, it, it's frustrating to uh, be an Armenian, tell people that, and they either don't know what that is or don't know what the country is, don't know who the people are, or just say, oh, yeah, there was a genocide there. It's just, like, you know, really kind of, like, boiled down to this one thing. And like you said, it affects the general um, our collective sort of consciousness and messes you up in, 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 a, in a lot of ways. But why don't we hear about Armenia? That's obviously promulgated by the fact that nobody hears about it in the news or is really taught about it in school. Why is that? Uh, geographic proximity doesn't, Armenia doesn't have, doesn't have anything to give in terms of natural resources. The bias towards Azerbaijan was due to Azerbaijani lobbying, but also due to the fact that Azerbaijan is a major oil producing country. Mm. And during the, at a time in which Russia is under sanction. So, uh, the oil, the West needs Azerbaijan's oil uh, more than any moral stance towards what's happening towards uh, towards the Armenians. So there is a lot of uh, there is a lot of uh, uh, hypocrisy, I should say. On the one hand, uh, promoting democracy; on the one hand, on the other hand, not standing in front of with along with democratic states when they are uh, suffering under authoritarian regimes. I mean, Azerbaijan is an authoritarian regime; it's not a democratic regime. It's about oil? I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> it's always about oil and resources uh, and never about morals or values. Um, there are sorry. no morals or values. Yeah. And, and speaking of oil, you know, it's, uh, there is, um, in the East Mediterranean Sea, right off of Gaza, there are $550 billion worth of oil there, which is something that's not being very well reported, but has been well proven. Um, and apparently Israel has already been making some contracts with various oil companies to, um, I guess, have the first pick on that um, and, and whatnot. But so bringing it west over to, to Palestine, um, there are at least two groups of Armenian Palestinians. There are the Armenian diaspora diaspora that came fleeing the genocide and then there are groups that came before that can you talk about uh the the indigenous armenian palestinians as you say and how they got to palestine and how that connects to their 
um, Christian history, shall I say? Yeah, I mean, uh, Armenian history of Jerusalem or Palestine or the Holy Land goes back to the 4th century with the right. discovery of the holy places by Helena, the mother of Constantine, uh, uh, Emperor Constantine. And uh, the, uh, uh, hence the arrival of pilgrims to the uh, to Palestine uh, begins uh, by the fourth century, and eventually you have a community that established in what's today the Armenian quarter. The first bishopric established in the seventh century, and the patriarchate established in the fourteenth century. And to that extent, Armenians have had long presence in the uh, in in Jerusalem. And are no, I don't actually I don't call it Jerusalem Armenians of Jerusalem. I call I call the place Armenian Jerusalem because Armenian Jerusalem is a unique identity that you cannot find in any part around the globe. It's Armenian identity, Armenian Jerusalem identity, because Armenians do not consider some Armenians do not. I don't consider myself as a diasporic group because Armenian Jerusalem is kind of a homeland for Armenians too. You know. Right. Yeah. And so the indigenous Armenians lived there for centuries. They were called Kaakatsis, as uh, meaning indigenous people. And uh, with the arrival of the genocide survivors after 1915, 1920, here you have the beginning of the formation of a new community, uh, whereby uh, you have uh, Armenians coming mostly from Cilicia and settling in Jerusalem, thousands of them within the Armenian quarter, and now creating a major new reality, which is the formation of a modern Armenian entity within the region of the old city of Jerusalem, but also uh, within other parts of the uh, of, of the um, of Palestine. Armenia, right. yeah. So, un- you know, unfortunately, I just want to give you a heads up. We have about two minutes here. In this last couple of minutes, just speak to the persecution that Armenians face in East Jerusalem and kind of how that represents the persecution that other groups face that aren't just Muslim, Arab. Uh, Armenian Armenian location actually decides their uh, status. Armenians of East Jerusalem are considered from the perspective of the Israeli uh, government as Palestinians because they are from East Jerusalem. Anyone who is East Jerusalem no matter what religious religion he adheres to, is an East Jerusalem has an East Jerusalem cat- category, meaning uh, uh, discrimination par excellence in uh, in bureaucratic matters dealing with all aspects of life, whether family reunion, whether uh, whether uh, issues dealing with uh, uh, marriage and other issues, they are discriminated. Uh, also, regardless of the fact that whether they have Israeli passport or not. So uh, I think at the end of the day, if you're not a Jew in East Jerusalem, you don't have any chance to be treated um, on equal foot with uh, with other people or with West Jerusalem, for example. Uh, so far, I think the, the threat be, besides the bureaucratic discrimination or state, state uh, discrimination they are the settlers. And the Orthodox Jews who live in the uh, old city, who live in the Jewish quarter, or who bypass or pass by the Armenian Armenian quarter to the Jewish quarter, Armenians there suffer a persecution, whereby these kids, the settlers, usually attack Armenians, harass Armenians, spit on priests, 
urinate on the cathedral. So there's a long history of persecution uh, by which they enjoy impunity because the state is not taking any measures. And you wouldn't see, you wouldn't see anyone daring to spit on an Armenian priest, priest walking down in uh, Manhattan, for example. Yeah. So this is a, this is the, this is a major issue. And we're wrapping up here. Um, we're hearing our music as Gisher Lusnak Gisher tonight. The moon is full. It's an Armenian folk ensemble, um, unknown, uh, but Givorg Dabagian and others. And in your last 15 seconds here, Dr. Matosian, just fin- final words. Final words is, uh, is a ceasefire. Ceasefire for Gaza, I should say. Return of Armenians to their Artsakh and peace, though I don't believe in peace anymore. <laughs> Dr. Bedros Matosian, world historian, genocide, comparative genocide historian um, at University of Nebraska. Thank you for joining us. And we hope to be following up with you. There's a lot more to talk about. Thank you, Amber, for hosting me. Bye. Thank you.